yet clear, but one official has said every federal agency has potentially been affected. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Going to create more turbulence. The economics statistics. A triple dip recession. Collapsing commodities. Monetary policy has to do the heavy lifting work. Money for nothing. Good morning, I'm Peter Lewis and welcome to Friday's Money for Nothing. Here are the morning headlines. US stocks slide overnight as bonds remain volatile. The global bond sell-off spreads to Asia. The IMF slashes its US growth forecast and urges the Fed to delay rate increases. And Shanghai stocks close the seven-year high in volatile trading. Muted inflation pressures suggest that interest rate hike can wait a little and that such interest rate hike would be better off in 2016. That's IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde unsettling US equities with a surprising intervention on Fed interest rate policy. It's been another wild ride in the global bond markets as volatility extends to Asian government bonds and stocks. And with the Greek debt talks ongoing, an OPEC meeting in Vienna and US jobs data all later today, volatility looks set to continue. We examine what this means for investors in Hong Kong and mainland China with JP Morgan's chief market strategist for Asia, Tai Hoi. We shall also talk to Vincent Pickett, the head of the European Union's office to Hong Kong and Macau about trade, business, cultural and political relations between the EU and Hong Kong. And we're also joined by our Friday guest host, Enzio von Fahl, investment strategist at Private Capital. Good morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Peter. So, Enzio, you're a veteran of the financial markets. Have you seen before the sort of volatility we're witnessing in the bond markets this week? Oh, clearly. I mean, after things like OPEC years and years and decades ago, Grandpa talking here, we've certainly seen things like this happen. So, it's not new. What's in fact happening in my mind is that the economic time is changing, which goes to say that the bond markets are beginning to do the jobs of central banks by tightening. And that's all that we're seeing now that you're seeing this tightening going on indeed with the German bunts rising by 69% over one week. That's a very hefty form of tightening. And, and that uh, must cause some pretty dramatic losses for bond investors around the world when you see that in one week. Well, especially for those people who shouldn't be getting rich by going into margin financing, absolutely. The IMF has cut its U.S. growth forecast for the second time in three months, from 3.1% to 2.5%. It also urged the Fed to hold off raising interest rates until next year and until further signs of wage growth and inflation appear. The IMF described the dollar as moderately overvalued and said that further market appreciation of the dollar would be harmful to the U.S. economy and threaten financial stability. So why has the IMF taken the unusual step of intervening in Fed policy. Here's Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. Well, I think it's not about economics because nobody, the IMF, the Fed, OECD, the Treasury, or anybody else has any insight as to what the economy is going to do next. I think it's more about financial stability. They're worried that a Fed rate hike is going to cause unstable markets, especially maybe in the emerging market area, that is not a new idea. A lot of people have thought that for some time, and I think that that's what they're starting to get worried about, especially with the heightened bond volatility that we've seen in the last few weeks, that they're thinking all of this is going to come together, 
and that we might have a scenario like we had with the bond market in 1994 in the United States. The Fed raised rates, they thought it wouldn't be a big deal, the bond market collapsed, and it created a whole host of problems right after that. Legendary bond investor Bill Gross has his own theory about why Christine Lagarde is lecturing the Fed on interest rate policy. She's uh, European-oriented, I guess, and, and, and obviously Greece is one of the problems. Uh, Greece owes them a lot of money, and they want it back. Uh, so it, I, I think she has some concern there, and to the extent that the United States keeps policy rates low, then that uh, ferments uh, easier monetary policies on a global basis. The U.S. is the reserve currency. So I, I think she's got a prejudice and a bias there, but I think, uh, if anything, like I said, she's higher than uh, what I would expect in terms of real GDP growth at, uh, at uh, perhaps one and a half to two, as opposed to two and a half to three, which is where she's going. Both the Dow and the S&P 500 closed below their 50-day moving averages ahead of today's jobs report. The Dow Jones Industrial Average has closed down 170 points at 17,905. The S&P 500 slid 0.9% to end the day at 2,095, and the Nasdaq fell 40 points, closing at 5,059. All of the S&P 500's major sectors ended the day lower, with the energy and materials sectors leading the decline. The S&P 500 Energy Index dropped 1.2% as Brent crude fell 2.5% at 62.2 US dollars a barrel. Greece becomes the first country since the 1980s to defer a payment to the IMF. Athens has informed the IMF that it will not make a payment of 300 million euros due today. Instead, it will invoke a rarely used rule that will allow... Greece to bundle all, all 1.6 billion euros that it owes in June into a single payment at the end of the month. Hopes that the latest set of proposals from its creditors will be accepted are fading after Greek Prime Minister Cyprus tweeted that the government will not accept extreme proposals. Our people have suffered enough during the past five years, he said. Rowland Sea Chief Strategist uh, Francois Savary anticipates more suffering, though. Germany has strong demands from Greece, and I think that Mr. Tsipras thinking that he can get rid of the idea of changing the benefit system in Greece, I think it's going a bit too far too fast. I think that the Germans are very strong on their position and they want structural reform in, the, in Greece. So Enzio, does this mean that June the 30th is now the, the final, final deadline for a deal between the country and its uh, creditors? Oh, absolutely not. The Greeks are winning a game of chicken because many in Europe seem to feel that Greece just has got to stay in the euro. I, of course, differ with that view because I'm not buying the story that it's all geopolitical and that the bad Ruskies are going to invade Europe through Athens with feta cheese at the back of the donkey. So I'm more concerned really about the fact that Europe is allowing itself – it's a new theme of mine actually – that the minorities are beginning to rule the majorities. Greece, with its stunning 2 percent GDP of all of Europe, is really telling the Europeans what to do. This is not going to go away for a long time. Greece is a recalcitrant child. And the global bond market sell-off has spread to Asia as, as historic moves in bonds in Japan, the US and Germany have raised all of 2015's gains. In Germany, the yield on the German 10-year Bund soared to win just half a basis point at the 1% level before retracing its losses to close at 0.859%. In the UK, yields surged to 2.18% before falling back to 2.05%. And Asia was not immune, with yields rising sharply in Asia, in Australia, Japan and Taiwan. Prices have seesawed just one day after ECD, ECB President Mario Draghi warned investors to expect increased volatility. So what does this volatility mean for investors in bonds? Here's London and Capital Group CEO Paul Marilagina. 
The big story here is somebody has lost a very large amount of money with moves that equate to maybe you know eight to nine percent in price terms fall. That's for 10-year uh, holders of, of, uh, of German bonds and for larger maturities even more so. I guess the main question is, is this the beginning of, of, of a further sort of spikes up in rates? Or is this just a consequence that everybody was just very crowded in very particular space within the market? And volatility has not been contained to bonds. Chinese equities swung violently in yesterday's trading session. Shenzhen suffered its biggest fall in more than two years, plunging 6.2%. And the Shanghai Composite Index tumbled 5.3% in just 20 minutes. The rout started when local broker Golden Sun announced that it would suspend margin purchases of shares on Shenzhen startup board Chinext. However, in a remarkable turnaround, stocks on the mainland recovered all of their losses with the Shanghai Composite Index closing up 0.75% at 4,947. The uh, Shenzhen Composite Index closed down just 0.6% and the Hang Seng Index closed down 105 points. So let's have a quick look now at the open of trading in the Asian markets to see how they're, they're likely to perform. The Nikkei is open down 96 points to 20,391. Australia is down 1.7 points to 5,509 and the Cosby is down 11 points to 2,061. In the currency markets, the euro is trading at 1.12 US dollars. Uh, the yen is at 124 against the US dollar. And one British pound buys 11.91 Hong Kong dollars. So joining us now to discuss the dramatic moves in the markets is JP Morgan's Asset Management's Chief Market Strategist for Asia, Tai Hoi. Good morning, Tai. Hi, good morning. So, Ty, today we saw an unprecedented intervention by the IMF into, into Fed policy. And, it, and it's very unusual, isn't it, for an international organization such as the IMF to comment on a central bank's monetary policy. What, what do you make of that? Um, I, indeed, I think it's, it's, it's very unusual for the IMF to comment on such a thing, especially in such specific terms. Not to say that you know they don't have an influence on uh, monetary policy around the world, but you know to call for the Fed to delay f- uh, for the first hike until 2016—that's clearly a very unusual position taken by the IMF. I think the reality is that U.S. economy is has hit a bump uh, in the recovery path in the past few months, but overall the fundamentals of the U.S. economy is still sound. We're going to get another round of uh, job data this evening, and I do believe that the job market continues to be in good shape. So I think uh, overall the Fed should be in a position to raise interest rates before the end of the year. Um, while the IMF is urging cautions, uh, nonetheless, I do think that the Fed needs to have um, you know, some buffer in its policy mix in order to uh, deal with potentially a slowdown further down the line. But the markets seem to be on the IMF side because they, they haven't really believed that there will be a rate hike this year, have they? The, the way the, the bond markets are trading tends to suggest that... Um, you know, the, the, up to now, that they don't really believe the, uh, the the Fed's going to be in a position to raise rates before um, before December. Well, I think the first uh, first hike is always a, a big debate. But I think more importantly, what the bond market is reflecting at this point in time is the Fed that, is the fact that the Fed is going to be raising interest rates in a very very gradual manner, which I do agree with. Uh, the traditionally, in uh, the normal rate hike cycle, you see the Fed raising interest rates by about two percentage points per year. Uh, but what the market is implying right now is that over the next eighteen months, the Fed most likely is only going to be raising interest rates one to one and a half percent. So it's going to be a much more gradual type Taihoi, does this mean then that we should be buying the U.S. dollars again and buying the U.S. stock market? 
Well, I think these are two separate things. I think, first of all, uh, I do agree that the U.S. dollar is still likely to be on the rising path over the next couple of years. Uh, partly, you know, the Fed is moving in an opposite direction to most central banks around the world, and also the current account position of the uh, U.S. Uh, current account, sorry, the U.S. economy continues to be improving. However, in the stock market, I think uh, the valuation currently is relatively rich, and also I think U.S. companies have done a fantastic job in improving their profits in the past three or four years. Unfortunately they're starting to run out of tricks. Um, their profit margin continues to be extremely high, which is a good thing, but it's very difficult to improve that further. And meanwhile, they're somewhat struggling to improve their sales figures, which is the top line. Um, so I think we need to have a little bit more clarity on how U.S. companies uh, improve their earnings before we can really uh, to be convinced that the stock market can rise significantly further from where we are now. Taho, very briefly, your thoughts on gold? Uh, agnostic. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I think the demand side is still with the emerging markets, but yet uh, a lot of the risk profile or risk demand for gold is so uh, is, is waning. So, Taiho, we're seeing a big sell-off in the bond markets. People have been talking now for almost 30 years about the long bull run that we've been seeing. Is this the end of that long bull run now? Not necessarily, because at the end of the day, there's still a significant demand for fixed income, both as a result of QE by the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan, and also by regular investors such as pension funds and insurance companies. So uh, I do expect, at least for this year and next year, there should be sufficient demand for fixed income to prevent a bond route. But nonetheless, I do agree with uh, Mario Draghi that uh, as we approach the tightening of, of the Fed, uh, we are likely to see greater degree of volatility in the bond market. But when you see these types of moves, I mean, they equate, uh, you know, eight, nine percent moves in one day um, in, the, in the value of a bond. So if you take Japan, those types of moves in JGB yields must cause some big problems for Japanese banks who are big holders of, of government bonds. Absolutely. I think these are uh, the day-to-day challenges for asset and liability management for the banks. But as I think for long-term investors, you know, these are obviously bumps on the road. I think one important point to recognize is that uh, you know, historically, many investors treat bond as a you know, safe, in inverted commas, asset, uh, as assets because of their low volatility. But again, as we have a more uh, divergence in policies around the world, I suspect that uh, you know, nice doctrine is likely to change over time. Thank you very much for joining us, Ty. That's Ty Hoy. Chief Asian Market Strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. And we'll be back after this. The 2015 Southern Hemisphere Seasonal Influenza Vaccination Program has started. All residents of residential care homes for the elderly can receive free vaccination at the homes. Other elders can receive free vaccination at designated hospital authority clinics and Department of Health elderly health centers in phases. Those aged 85 or above will be vaccinated first, followed by other elders depending on the availability of the vaccine. For details, please call 2125-2125. This is Money for Nothing on RTHK Radio 3, where the time is almost 8.18. We've talked a lot this week about Europe in the context of Greece and the financial markets. However, the EU and Hong Kong also have very important trade relationships. One third of the roughly 150 financial institutions registered with the HKMA are from EU member states. The EU is the third largest source of foreign direct investments into Hong Kong and among the top five into China. And Hong Kong is the fifth largest source of foreign direct investments into the EU. So I'm delighted now to welcome to the studio the head of the EU office to Hong Kong and Macau, Vincent Pickett. Good morning, Vincent. Good morning. So the EU is 28 separate sovereign countries. So could you explain who does the EU office here in Hong Kong represent and what's the role of the EU office here in Hong Kong? 
with 28 separate sovereign countries, but uh, united in the European Union, which is the, uh, an entity where member states have pulled part of their national sovereignty in order to pursue common goals. And one of those common goals is uh, definitely to promote the EU's uh, trade interests uh, abroad. We have a common trade policy and, and a common uh, trade regime vis-à-vis third countries. And uh, it makes uh, the EU's market, for, of course, very easily accessible for foreign traders. And we see that reflected with Hong Kong. So how important to the EU is trade in goods and services between Hong Kong and the EU? Uh, it's, it's very good. It's, it's rising in, in the overall trade volume um, we see, which is uh, 65 billion euros. Uh, goods still dominate with 45 billion euros. However, the, uh, the share of services is, is rising uh, quite fast and now stands at, uh, at 20 billion. So as China's economy grows, is, is Hong Kong, in your mind, still going to be an important partner to, to the EU, or, or do you think its role will diminish? Um, that's a little bit of uh, crystal balling, but we have so far not seen any signs that uh, Hong Kong's role as, uh, as trade hub, trade and finance hub uh, for the EU uh, industries uh, is, is declining a, a, at all. Overall, trade has been, has been rising over the past decade, despite our economic uh, uh, problems back, back home. Uh, we saw a very slight dip uh, last, last year by 1%, uh, but uh, uh, at the same time uh, a, a rise in, in Hong Kong exports uh, towards the uh, EU. So uh, it's too early to, uh, to predict on what we see, any, any decline whatsoever. On the contrary, uh, on the whole, we see a, a very steady uh, presence of European firms here in Hong Kong. They have now got about uh, 1,950 EU companies based here, and that number is not going down. Enzio? I'm just wondering on our pet peeve, Greece, Vincent, whether how does the European position on Greece, which we don't know so much about, differ to that of the IMF and the ECB, which has been perhaps more publicized? It's uh, it's more publicized indeed. Uh, Bear in mind that the the negotiation that's happening now is not a negotiation between the EU and Greece, but between the Eurozone and, and Greece. Uh, so it's a subset of 19 of our 28 uh, uh, member states. Um, the line that, uh, that the EU, Eurozone members have in this is uh, very much identical to uh, that of, uh, of IMF, with, of course, the added um, uh, uh, dimension of, uh, of the political uh, wish to, uh, to keep uh, Greece inside uh, the, the Eurozone. It's a wish that is shared by, by, by the Greeks as well. Um, of course, it, it needs to be made possible, and the only way to make it possible is by a credible and concrete reform program uh, by the Greek authorities. And, and what other areas does, uh, does the EU cooperate with, with Hong Kong in, as, well as, uh, as well as trade? Well, the, the core is, is the economic relationship, but uh, branching out from there, we have uh, a cooperation in, uh, in, in a variety of um, regulatory matters. For instance, financial services, uh, very important for us uh, in the wake of our banking crisis and uh, equally important for, uh, for uh, Hong Kong in the framework of the tremendous regulatory drive you've seen in the G20 context. So that, that's one. Environment and climate is, is an important subject for us, top priority because of the upcoming uh, climate negotiation in Paris in December this year, where the EU will uh, try to achieve a very ambitious and realistic uh, uh, climate um, uh, package and with emission cuts 
that will keep the, e, uh, the world temperature rise uh, at uh, 2% uh, uh, Celsius. Uh, next to that, of course, quite, quite a, a number of other programs and activities that we have in, in fields like innovation, uh, education, culture, etc. And now, sorry, Angie. Sorry, I was just wondering. Uh, America's pivot to Asia is is looming more and more on the horizon, especially with this forthcoming trade deal. How do you of the EU do you welcome this pivot to Asia? Do you see it as a threat or as an opportunity? Well, we're pivoting ourselves uh, necessarily to Asia as well. Yes. At, at the end of the day, uh, the economic center point of um, of the world. And, and with it, to some extent, to slumber more slowly, uh, the political uh, uh, center of gravity is moving uh, to the east. And uh, as uh, EU, we have to engage with that. Uh, the economic uh, uh, um, uh, growth uh, will be in Asia uh, rather than in most of the other uh, continents on the world. So hence we are here. We have a, a very um, a proactive trade policy towards uh, towards Asia. We've we signed uh, FTAs with uh, with uh, Korea and with Singapore. We are busy negotiating one with with Japan. We are uh, negotiating an investment agreement with with China, and and others will follow. And you mentioned the political centre. Do you, as, as the EU office, get involved in political issues here, such as electoral reform, for example, and provide your views on that to um, sort of local officials in the governments here? Well, first of all, this is a, 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 the electoral reform is a sovereign process for, for Hong Kong and for, for the People's Republic to go through and for the po- population of, of, of Hong Kong. At the same time, the EU um, uh, is a stakeholder in this process. We have our economic interests here. We have uh, thousands and thousands of European citizens living here. And as if, uh, coming from the EU, of course, we promote certain uh, certain uh, uh, standards of democracy um, and 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 uh, governance uh, that we uh, try to practice on our own continent as well. So we take an interest and we express our views. We've done so uh, in the past, uh, and uh, at the current uh, critical juncture, of course, we've been speaking to many many partners in in a um, um, in in Hong Kong in a while well, respecting the sovereignty, trying to encourage. Uh, uh, constructive discussions, discussions towards a compromise. And, and what is the EU's view on the, the process that's going on here, the electoral reform process? Well, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the choice of, of election electoral systems is a sovereign one, and, and, and it's, it's Hong Kong and the People's Republic that have to make it. Uh, but uh, the, the key point uh, that we're trying to uh, promote is, is a discussion about uh, promotion of uh, the, uh, con- constructive discussions for, for a, a compromise so that a, a, a good solution can be found on time. And, and that those views are, are, are welcomed in, in Hong Kong amongst government officials here? Well, <laughs> that's for others to say, but uh, we've had uh, very, very positive exchanges with everybody. Okay. Could you give us a little bit of a, a sense of what your forecast is for the, the EU economy? We saw um, the ECB press conference yesterday, Mario Draghi. He was projecting about 1.5%, but it, it seems like for, for 2015, but it does feel like um, the economic environment is improving. We're seeing inflation pick up a little bit. Is it also your sense that um, the Eurozone economy at last is starting to, to get better? Uh, indeed, uh, 1.5% growth this year and uh, to be followed by a forecast of uh, 1.9% next year. So that is for, for, uh, for highly developed economies, quite a decent sort of performance. Um, uh, unemployment is going down slowly, uh, uh, but, but it is. Of course, we still have uh, uh, tremendous peaks in unemployment in a number of our member states, uh, which is a, a, a great uh, social and, and political uh, issue, and we have to work on that very hard. 
the, the key thing for us now is to, is to promote uh, investment into the real economy. And for that reason, European Commission President uh, Jean-Claude Juncker has, has launched this new EU investment plan uh, by which we hope to, uh, to raise uh, 315 billion um, euros uh, uh, investment into the real economy. Money coming from partly from public sources, from the EU budget, from member state budgets, partly from the European Investment Bank, and partly also from, from private sources. And for private sources, we're looking both inside the European Union as well as outside, including here in Hong Kong. And what sort of projects will that be invested in? It, it's a broad, broad range of projects uh, going for, from, from transport infrastructure uh, infrastructure for broadband and information society, uh, also energy, a top priority for us. We have to diversify our energy um, uh, supplies uh, besides uh, making um, the EU economy uh, even more uh, resource efficient and, and energy efficient as uh, that it is. Innovation is a, is a big theme. Um, uh, we, we have had uh, innovation rates which are below the, uh, the average in the, uh, in the OECD, so, so that is something we work on. And also we want to um, uh, promote um, uh, more uh, investment for uh, possibilities for SMEs and the startups. D D Vincent, the, having worked on Capitol Hill for some years, I was always struck by the somewhat ignorant view that the staffers had of China. What is the China awareness in Brussels? Is it a big hot topic or is it one of these China is far away and let's take a slow boat to China? Well, let, let me say this, that uh, I, I, I do think that the overall uh, knowledge of, of China is still uh, limited and, uh, and, uh, and uh, even in, in, uh, in, in, in also in politics, in business and so on. Uh, however, um, with, the, with the phenomenal rise in our relations with China, uh, I, I think the awareness of, uh, of the role that China has to play uh, in the world, but also in the EU-Chinese uh, uh, um, uh, and EU-Asia relations has risen tremendously. And uh, we've had um, in the past two years a tremendous upswing in our relations with a visit by, uh, to Brussels by uh, President Xi Jinping. Uh, we've had two visits by the Prime Minister. Uh, and the third one coming uh, uh, in, in, at the end of this month with the EU-China summit. And um, so in all in all, I think uh, China is very much on, on our political and economic uh, top priority list. Uh, we, uh, we engage with China in, in no fewer than, than 60 uh, different sectoral dialogues, uh, mostly at uh, ministerial sort of level, but also at senior civil servant level. So on the, on the whole, I think we are, we are moving forward pretty fast. That's Thank all you. we've got time for. Thank you very much, Vincent, for joining us. That's Vincent Pickett, head of the EU office to Hong Kong and Macau. Let's take a final look at the markets. The Nikkei is down 75 points to 20,413. Australia is now up uh, 14 points to 5,526. And in Seoul, the Cosby is down one point at 2,071. Gold is trading at uh, 1,176 uh, US dollars an ounce. And Brent crude oil is trading at $62.1 a barrel. So, Enzio, can we expect any calm in the markets for the rest of the week, or is that too much to hope for? Well, the rest of the week is going to be a little bit short, I would have thought. My forecast is tomorrow is going to be Saturday. Um, I would say that, the and, and yes, the, there will be a lot more volatility coming through because the markets are getting very skittish. The market subconscious is really saying that there will be a rate 
hike in the U.S. and markets always get very volatile ahead of this. This is time immemorial. That's what happens. My view is that you want to be buying the dollar. You want to be buying the stock markets, especially Japan, Europe, China, and Hong Kong. And you want to be buying palm oil because El Nino is not going away. Thank you, Enzio. That's our regular guest host, Enzio von Feuerl of Private Capital. This is Peter Lewis, wrapping up Money for Nothing. Renita will be back on Monday. Before we go, uh, the weather in Hong Kong today, hot with sunny periods, apart from isolated showers. The maximum temperature will be about 32 degrees with moderate southwesterly winds. Temperatures 29 degrees and the relative humidity is 80%. Now the half-hour news with Samantha Butler. The authorities in the United States say computer hackers have compromised the data security of about 4 million federal government employees. The Office of Personnel Management detected malicious activity on its computers in April. Reports say officials believe the attacks originated in China. The BBC's Tom Bateman is in Washington. The Office of Personnel Management acts as the human resources department for the entire federal government in the U.S., carrying out security clearances and controlling the records of 4 million current and former employees. The agency says it was the target of a cyber intrusion which took place in April and which is now being investigated by the FBI. The full scale of the breach and the numbers involved are not yet clear, but one official has said every federal agency has potentially been affected. South Korea says a fourth person in the country has died from Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. The 76-year-old man contracted the illness after sharing a hospital ward with other MERS patients. Almost 40 other people...